Well, hey there, everybody. This is the Gathering Out of Us message podcast. This message is called The Lifestyle of Full Devotion, and our lead pastor, Jeff Yancey, is teaching through Acts 2, 42 to 47, as part of our Acts of the Apostles sermon series. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com and just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. This morning, we are continuing on in our series through the book of Acts, which tells the story of the early church and of what God did through his people, through his church, as it was just getting started. And we're looking this morning at a somewhat familiar passage of Scripture in Acts 2, verses 42 through to 47. It's a passage that has been the subject of many church leadership conference talks and many books and blog posts about the purpose and mission and vision of the church and uh, the topic of many vision-casting sermons as well from pastors and preachers and church leaders like myself. In fact, some of you might remember that it was just a few months ago in the summer when Ed Wilms, our denomination's executive director, preached on this very passage virtually for us at the gathering as he talked about reimagining church and what it would look like for us, the church at large and the church called the gathering, to reclaim some of the very things that we see the first church in the book of Acts living into from this very passage. And that's because this passage, it's a very popular and common passage of Scripture. And for good reason, as this passage speaks probably about as clearly as any other passage in the entire New Testament does to the purpose and to the function of the church. And specifically, what it is that the church exists to do and to be in the world. It's a really important passage of Scripture for the church and for our church today. No question. And so then, if you have your Bibles with you or uh, have Bible apps on your device that you want to track along with, I want to invite you to turn with me to this passage, to Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, where after the Holy Spirit had come on the day of Pentecost, giving birth, so to speak, to the church, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, and after Peter then got up and preached the gospel to the watching crowd, the crowd that had gathered to see what on earth was going on when the Holy Spirit first came. And after some 3,000 people responded to the gospel by surrendering their lives to Jesus and being baptized, officially joining this movement called the church, we see now in verses 42 through to 47 what these new believers, what the church did as a result as they committed to following Jesus together in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Let's work through this passage here together this morning, thinking about not just this church in the book of Acts, but our church in our lives as we follow Jesus together. Acts 2, starting in verse 46, here's, or sorry, verse 42, here's what we read. It says, all the believers devoted themselves. Now this word devoted, it means to give yourself to or to organize your entire life around some specific goals. Or behaviors, which is exactly what Luke, the author, says that the, the, the church, the early church here in the book of Acts, these new believers, it's what they did. Were in response to the goodness and grace of Jesus in their lives. Luke says that they devoted themselves or they organized their entire lives around three specific practices. What those practices, Luke says, being this in verse 42, he says, first of all, they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching 
and number two, to fellowship and to sharing in meals, and number three, to prayer and to worship. Now let me unpack these three different practices with you a little bit, where first of all, we see the believers devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, or in other words, devoting themselves to the spiritual practice of learning, and learning specifically from the apostles, with the apostles, of course, being the eyewitnesses to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and the main leaders and teachers of the church, leaders whom Jesus Christ himself had appointed. Now, what's so significant about this, about them learning from the apostles? Well, it shows us just how central learning and teaching from the scriptures is in the life of the church, the people of God. And not just teaching for the sake of teaching or for the sake of right doctrine, by the way, but teaching, listen, teaching for the sake of right living. Teaching or learning that leads us to live more and more fully into the way of Jesus in our daily lives. That's the kind of teaching and learning that this first church, these new believers, engaged in. And let me just say this, this kind of teaching and learning, it is critical for everybody in the church, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter what stage of life or faith you are at. But it is especially important, I think, for those of us who are newer to faith, just as the 3,000 in this story were. They were brand new Christians, as it's just so important for new Christians in particular to be very intentional about laying a solid, biblical, Jesus-centered foundation in your life. I was reminded about this uh, this past week, actually, as I was talking to a couple people who are connected to our church and they're newer Christians themselves. They've come to faith within the past couple years and are still trying to figure out what it all means uh, for them to be a follower of Jesus. And they were telling me about how, as, as people who didn't grow up in the church and don't really know the Bible all that well, they were telling me about how they often feel like they have so much to catch up on that they just have so much to learn and how at times they actually can feel a bit overwhelmed by it all and even a bit out of place in the church because of how little they feel they know about Christianity and the Bible and faith and all of this. You ever feel like that yourself? Especially perhaps when you were new to faith and you would maybe just come to faith even a little bit later on in life. Uh, Maybe you hadn't grown up in the church. You ever felt like that? You feel like that now? Maybe especially if you're exploring Faith, honestly, I think we all have times in our life where we feel like this, where we feel overwhelmed and like we just don't get it, no matter the stage uh, of our faith and of our life. But that's where these new Christians were at. So what did I say to these new Christians in response to their concerns? Well, I said two things. I said, first of all, guys, don't beat yourself up about this. Like not even a little bit. It is totally normal to feel a little bit overwhelmed or even a little bit lost at times, especially when you first come to faith. Like this is all new for you, right? You didn't grow up with this. And so don't beat yourself up. You're not a worse Christian than anybody else just because you maybe don't know the Bible as well. And you certainly aren't dumb or less than others. You just have a lot to learn, as we all do, by the way, because faith is a journey and we are all always learning. And thankfully, God's grace isn't dependent on how much we do or don't understand about Him. So don't beat yourselves up. Have some grace for yourselves. Have some patience with yourself and trust that God is at work here teaching you all that you need to know as you grow in him. That was the first 
thing that I said to these new Christians as I just really wanted to encourage them to stick with it and not to get too discouraged by the process. And then the second thing I said after telling them not to beat themselves up about this was, was this. I said, but don't, listen, don't ever stop learning either. Don't beat yourself up, but don't ever stop learning either. Keep putting yourselves in situations, in environments where the Bible is being taught. Show up to church online or in person every week. Read your Bible faithfully. Go to home church. Go to your small group each week, no matter what, and surround yourself with mature Christians that you you trust and just keep asking questions and stay curious and listen to sermons and podcasts and read solid Christian Bible-based books. Just whatever you do, This is what I said, whatever you do, don't ever stop learning. Don't become complacent. Because when you do, I said, when you stop putting yourself in environments where the Bible is being taught, and when you stop being intentional about learning and you become complacent instead, you will inevitably start to slip spiritually as well. It's inevitable. It will happen if you stop putting yourself in situations where you can learn and are surrounded by others who will help you learn. I've seen it happen far too many times where people first, they come to faith and they're all fired up. You know, they come to church every single Sunday and they read their Bibles every single day like crazy and they're learning, reading, reading books and listening to podcasts and sermons, they're just soaking it all in. But then eventually, you know, life gets in the way for them and they get distracted And then they become complacent and they stop being intentional about learning. And you know what happens then? They find themselves slowly going back to their old life, chalking up this whole Christianity thing to just a a phase, just a season of their life, a season where they went to church for a little while, but it didn't really stick. And so I said to these guys, guys, whatever you do, don't, don't become like that. Don't ever stop learning. Keep putting yourself in environments where the Bible is taught and keep building on that foundation that you first established in the person of Jesus Christ. This is important advice for newer Christians in particular, but it's also, I think, pretty good advice for some of us older Christians too, isn't it? For, for those of us who have been following Jesus for some time, because the reality is, is that it can be really easy sometimes for us to become spiritually complacent too, can't it be? Thinking that because maybe we have lots of head knowledge about the Bible and that because we're maybe theologically astute or because maybe we grew up in the church or have been around the church for some time or because maybe we've heard it all before that we don't need to hear it all again because we already, quote, know the Bible. But the early church didn't do this, did they? Instead, you know what they did? They devoted themselves as an intentional spiritual practice to the apostles' teaching, meaning that they devoted themselves to humbly learning and to being teachable and curious and studious. As for them, learning was never about learning for the sake of learning, but about learning for the sake of living as their beliefs shaped the way they lived their daily lives. So what about you? What about us? Are you, are are we devoted to humbly learning more and more about Jesus and his life and his teachings and then living out those teachings and being shaped by them in our daily lives? Or have we become a bit too complacent instead, a bit too arrogant in our Bible uh, Bible knowledge? Well, wherever we're at this morning, here's the thing. We're all invited, just like the early church was, 
to root ourselves in this very spiritual practice, the practice of learning and of humility and curiosity, the kind of learning that leads to right living. It's the first practice we see here, this early church devoting themselves to, organizing themselves around the second practice then that Luke talks about the believers organizing their lives around here in verse 42 is this. It's the practice of fellowship in the sharing of meals, which sounds amazing, doesn't it? Especially the meals part, plural, meals, plural, as in a lot and a lot of meals. This is the kind of fellowship that I can get behind. But let's talk for a moment about this word, about the word fellowship. You know what the word fellowship here in the Greek is? It's the Greek word koinonia, koinonia, which is sometimes translated in English as fellowship as it is here in Acts 2, but it's also sometimes translated in a few other places in the New Testament as partnership or contribution, just depending on the context, making this word koinonia a very tricky word to translate. In fact, it doesn't really have a proper English equivalent. And honestly, the word fellowship, as used here in Acts 2, it doesn't really do it justice. As unfortunately, the the word fellowship has pretty much come to mean for us just kind of like hanging out with other Christians or connecting socially with other believers. I mean, think about it. We've got in church buildings, we've got things like fellowship halls in the basement, don't we? Right? Where Christians will sometimes gather in the fellowship hall after a worship service or after a funeral or whatever, and they'll eat egg salad sandwiches on stale bread while drinking burnt coffee and gross food like this. And sometimes Christians will use the word fellowship or fellowshipping as a synonym for socializing with one another before or after a worship service or in others' homes, or whatever the case may be, saying things like, I enjoyed the fellowship this morning before the service. And, you know, while that's all fine and good, I'm I'm glad that we enjoy socializing. There's nothing wrong with having fellowship halls and hanging out before and after the service. While that's all fine and good, that's not really what the word koinonia or, or fellowship means, to socialize. And it's most certainly not what the early church organized their lives around here in Acts 2, right? They weren't fully devoted to socializing with one another and hanging out in in fellowship halls while eating less than stellar food. That's just not what the word koinonia speaks to. Instead, you know what the word koinonia speaks to? It speaks to this. It's a hard word to summarize. There's a lot of nuance and beauty crammed into the word, but if I could define it, which is in just one short uh, way, one short definition, here's how I would define koinonia. It's this. It's as spiritual friendship. That's koinonia. Spiritual friendship, where together the early church functioned as a Jesus-centered covenant community together or a spiritual family of sorts where they understood that they all belonged to each other and they were accountable to and for one another by practically supporting and caring for one another in whatever ways they possibly could and by humbly putting each other's needs above their own and by sharing meals together, meaning they shared their lives together with great joy. It's spiritual friendship, koinonia, where they weren't just friendly with one another, they weren't just friends in the social sense with one another, but they were spiritual friends one to another, a community of love, God's love, as they actively engaged in each other's lives and faith journeys. It's the second practice that the early church devoted themselves to and organized their entire lives around. It's the practice of koinonia, excuse me, or of spiritual friendship, or simply, we might say, of love. 
where they saw themselves as belonging one to another and as a covenant community and as a spiritual family together. And then finally, the last practice that we see the first church living into in verse 42 is this. It's the practice of prayer, where Luke says that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread or to the Lord's Supper and to prayer, meaning that the early church organized their entire lives around this, around corporate prayer and corporate worship where they gathered together, whether it was in the temple in what would have been larger gatherings or in a home as it often was in what would have been smaller, more intimate gatherings. If they had the internet, I'm sure they would have met online as well because they were devoted to gathering in large and small ways in order to seek the face of God together. This was a key practice for the early church, the practice of worship and of prayer as they regularly came to the Lord's table together, rooting their practice and their faith in the cross and in what Jesus had accomplished for them in dying for their sins. And as they worshiped Jesus together, praying with and for one another. It makes me wonder about us and about our church, the gathering. Like, are we a community that is fully devoted to this practice of prayer as the early church was, to, to praying with and for one another and to seeking God's face together in worship? And for that matter, are we devoted to being together in person to worship Jesus together just as the early church was, to, to gathering for worship and to not forsaking the assembling of the believers as the writer of Hebrews talks about knowing that being together corporately as a church is essential in a life of faith. I know it's a weird season right now and you're watching this online, but are we committed to getting back to that place of being together in person so that we can worship and pray together because the early church was and they organized their entire lives around this practice, the practice of prayer and of worship. These are the three fundamental practices that the early church fully devoted themselves to, according to Luke in verse 42. They organized their lives around learning and around loving or spiritual friendship and around worship and prayer. And I wonder for us, what would our church in our lives look like if we did what they did, right? If we were as intentional as they were to organize our entire lives around these very same practices to be fully devoted to Christ in these ways. Like just imagine what God could do through us and in us as we devoted ourselves to these same things. Well, as we read on here in our passage this morning, Luke tells us a bit of what God did through them, through the early church. As a result, as the early church lived into these different spiritual practices and embraced a fully devoted lifestyle to Christ. We're starting in verse 43. Luke says this. He says, And a deep sense of awe came over them all, which is amazing, right? It's what happens in a community of faith when we are fully devoted to following Jesus together. We end up in a place of awe and of wonder together, amazed at what God is doing amongst us, worshiping Jesus together. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles also performed many miraculous signs and wonders, which in a very practical sense simply verified to the watching world that the ministry of the church was an extension of the ministry of Jesus, who of course also performed many miraculous signs and wonders as well. 
it showed to the watching world that the church had taken the baton, so to speak, and that they were continuing on in the mission of Jesus, filled with the spirit of Jesus, bringing his healing and his, and his wholeness to a world that so desperately needed it. And it's interesting, uh, we read about this a little bit in Hebrews 2 verses three to four, where in it, the writer of Hebrews basically talks about how God gave the apostles unusual abilities to perform miracles for a time in order to authenticate that their new message, the, the message of the gospel was truly from him. Meaning that while God can and does sometimes still perform miracles today, whether we're talking about healing people or speaking to people through dreams or, or whatever, while sometimes that can still happen today, we should not necessarily assume them to be regular or normative in the life of, our, of the church or in our daily lives either because God was doing something really unique and something really specific through the early church as he verified their ministry to the watching world through signs and wonders. Now, to be clear, does this mean that God does not perform miracles today? No, of course he does. Look, you're a miracle and I'm a miracle. Salvation is a miracle and grace and forgiveness. It's a miracle and love and unity and peace and wholeness. They are all miracles. And while they might not seem as miraculous, they are miraculous uh, miracles of God nonetheless. If only we'd have eyes to see, uh, see it for what it is. Now, I love when God shows up in miraculous ways and physically heals and restores people. I've seen it happen. I've prayed for people and seen God heal them. Not a lot, but I've seen it happen a couple times. And I think we should pray for God to do those things amongst us and expect him to do those things amongst us because he still can. But honestly, these days, I am much more interested in seeing God heal and restore people's souls and relationships and hearts and lives instead. Those are the kind of miracles and signs and wonders that I long to see more of these days. It's healed lives. All right, back to our text now. We're in verse 44. Luke continues on and explains a little bit further about what this lifestyle of full devotion looked like for the early church. Look at what he said in verse 44. He said, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they have. I love that. They shared everything that they had. This is koinonia, right? Spiritual friendship where they literally shared everything that they had, meaning their lives, but also their possessions and their homes where they cared for one another, like truly cared for each other and put each other's needs above their own, taking care of each other in every way possible, materially, financially, spiritually, where if you had a need or if you were in crisis, the church had your back no matter what. It's koinonia, true koinonia. Isn't it amazing? I love it when we as a church live in to this kind of koinonia, when we care for each other in this way. Right? It's what fellowship is supposed to be all about, taking care of one another, sharing what we have, meeting each other's needs, refusing to walk in judgment, but to love each other well. Instead, it's the church at its best, which is a totally countercultural thing to do. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't particularly like asking people for things, whether it be simple practical things like asking my neighbor to borrow his trimmer for our lawn since mine broke, or whether it be bigger or more imp important things like asking people for help 
when I'm struggling or when I'm discouraged. I don't like asking people for things. I don't like asking uh, people for help. But guys, that's what koinonia is all about. That's what the church is all about. It's why we need, in part, to be a part of a church. It's because we need this kind of community and spiritual friendship in our lives, just like the early church had. Reading on, verse 45, listen to this. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now, think about this. This is, this is crazy to me. Because not only did the early church here share everything they had with one another and meet each other's needs in the church, but they also met the needs of others outside of the church as well. Going so far as to sell their property and their possessions to meet those needs, which is absolutely bonkers. Like imagine this happening today. Imagine we as a church did a fundraiser, a big fundraiser for a ministry that we partner with, whether it be Compassion Canada or Ottawa Inner City Ministries or Jericho Road, just a ministry that serves the poor and disadvantaged in some way. We do a big fundraiser for them and you feel compelled by the grace and generosity of Jesus to contribute, but you don't have much money to give. And so what do you do? Well, you start selling your stuff. And not just stuff that you don't need or, or want anymore, but things that matter to you, like your TV and your PlayStation or your Xbox and your couch and your dining table, maybe even going so far as to sell your own house. You just go crazy selling everything that you owned and then you took all the money that you had and you donated it to these amazing ministries and to the amazing things that they are doing to meet the needs of the poor with no strings attached, no expectations, but just, the, just out of a blessing, out of a desire rather, to bless others and to meet the needs of the poor. Could you imagine doing something crazy like that. Well, that's basically what the early church did, where they were so compelled by the grace and generosity of Jesus, so moved by the gospel that they themselves lived radically generous, others-oriented lives as a result, selling their property and possessions and sharing the money with those in need, with the poor, extending koinonia beyond themselves into the community at large and making a significant impact in the name of Jesus in the world around them. Now, imagine what God could do through us as we live with this same kind of radical generosity and care and concern for the poor and the needy. Not that we have to go and sell our homes and all our stuff. It's a different time now than it was then. But as we look to live others-oriented lives and look to share the radical generosity of Jesus with the poor and the needy, in our world. It's what the early church did. And God used them to make a serious difference in the world. Moving on. Verse 46. What else did the early church do? Well, Luke says, verse 46, that they worshiped together at the temple each day, which is crazy, right? Like we think going to church once or, or, or twice a, a month is a big deal, let alone once a week. Imagine going every single day. It's what they did. It's what the early church did. They were so hungry to know God that they went every single day. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared meals with great joy in generosity. They met in small groups in each other's homes. They were just so committed to being in God's 
presence, to spending time with him each and every day by going to the temple and having the scriptures read to them since most of them couldn't read the scriptures for themselves. It was like daily devotions for them. And as they gathered in homes, sharing in the Lord's Supper together, they did it all so that they could get to know Jesus better and so that they could spend time in God's presence and in the scriptures together. Verse 47, all the while, Luke says, praising God, right? Like in all that they did, they had a posture of worship. They were worshiping Jesus, praising God in all that they did. And then listen, and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Meaning, and this is shocking, but it's true, meaning that people actually liked them. The community at large actually liked the church. They may not have believed the same things that they believed. They may not have understood what it was that was motivating the church to do what they were doing. But the community at large was glad that the church was there. They saw the church as a benefit to the community, not a hindrance. Which is so interesting, right? Because today, there's this narrative out there that if you follow Jesus, people are going to hate you. And that the church is supposed to be hated by culture and that we're supposed to be opposed and spoken badly of by people who don't know Jesus. But as we look at the story of the early church, at least here in Acts 2, this was just not the case for them. The church enjoyed the goodwill of all the people, meaning people liked them because of the good that they did in the world. Now again, for us, for the gathering and for the church at large here in Ottawa, I wonder what would it take for our neighborhood and for our city to say more and more in increasing ways, you know, I don't know what they believe and I don't know if I believe what they believe and I don't really understand what's motivating them to do the things that they do. But man, I am just so glad that that church exists. I'm so glad that church is part of our community because that's the kind of church I want to belong to. I want to be a part of here in Riverside South and beyond a church that is known for the good of our neighborhood and for the good of our city, a church that does amazing things in the name of Jesus to bless others. This is what the fully devoted life looked like for the early church. It looked like a life of learning and a life of love and a life of worship, a life that led others to take note and to ask questions about Jesus for themselves. And then look finally at what God did with all of this as a result. Look at how God moved. Look at the last line of verse 47 where we read this. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Isn't that amazing? And each day Through the influence of the church, people came to faith in Christ. And each day, through the faithfulness of the church, people's lives were changed. And each day, through the witness of the church, people's eternities were forever altered. And uh, each day, through the winsomeness of the church, people joined the movement. They joined the church. This is what God can do when the people of God, the church, live as the church is called to live. Not necessarily when the church runs a bunch of programs or certain programs or organizes itself in a certain way or preaches about certain topics or markets itself in a certain way, as good as those things can be. But when the people of God commit to organizing their entire lives around learning, 
loving and worshiping Jesus in all we do, leading uh, lives of full devotion of Jesus Christ. Each day, people can come to know Jesus. Each day, lives can be changed. Each day, people's uh, eternities can be altered. And each day, people can make uh, note of what God is doing in and through the church and say, hmm, I don't know if I believe what they believe, but I want to be a part of what they're doing. This is what happens when we live lives fully devoted to Christ. And so let me ask you as, as we close, are you devoted, fully devoted? Are, are you committed to organizing your life around the message of Jesus and around the community of Jesus and around meeting the needs of others in the name of Jesus? Are you devoted? Are you committed to organizing your entire life around following Jesus in all that you do? Because I don't know about you, but this is the kind of church I want to be a part of, a fully devoted church, an Acts 2 church. But it all starts with me, and it all starts with you, and it all starts with us together embracing this lifestyle of full devotion just as the early church did. Let's not become complacent. Let's not become arrogant. Let's not become uh, lazy in our faith. Let's go all in and live into this life of full devotion together and then just stand back and watch what God does. Let me pray for you. Well, Lord Jesus, wow, what a story of what you can do through a faithful church, a church that is committed not just to programs or to events or worship services, but to a lifestyle, a lifestyle of full devotion to you. And God, I'm, re I'm reminded this morning of what it is that you gave up for us, that you gave it all up for us so that we could give it all up for you, so that we could live fully devoted lives for you because we know that you're fully devoted to us. You organized everything, eternity around us, which is crazy. So God, would we be found faithful? Would we have the courage to step up and to speak your name? Uh, in environments where your name is not always welcomed, to be learners, uh, to, to take in your word to ourselves, to, to learn more about you so that we can follow you more clearly, to love well, to practice koinonia, meeting the needs of others in practical ways, including those in our community. Would you show us how to do that this week? Would you make us a community of prayer and worship that seeks your face? Help us to commit this morning to live fully, devoted lives to you because nothing else will do it. Only full devotion to you. Speak to us about what that means, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We're back next week with Jeff continuing on in our Acts series with a message called The Blind Beggar. Well, it might be called that. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes that guy changes the title. But regardless of what it's called, he'll be working through Acts 3, 1 to 11. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com, and tune in next week to the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast.